I guess important just to give a shout out uh, to the untimely passing of Larry Zonka. Um, huge respect, obviously. Um, it was it was crazy to hear people talking about him and and how many people said basically something the same thing that crossed like not you know didn't cross my mind as one of the first things, but something that was just an anecdotal truism about me is that there was times where like. I'm doing a podcast review of a show and Larry Zonka's notes are my notes. Like I'm going through his, I'm using his review as my notes. Uh, Cause he was so prolific and you know, hit the details, hit the important points, easy to digest and really solid. I mean, the guy was a beast when it came to reviewing stuff and was, you know, obviously seems like a really great guy. Didn't know him super personally myself, interacted here and there a little bit, but uh, definitely always looked at his work and, and used it um, as a resource. Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely definitely a huge loss for the the wrestling you know internet community in general um i don't know if you have anything you want to say about that oh yeah obviously um prayers and good wishes to everyone that was close to him all of his friends his family obviously um and not only that uh shad gaspard too yeah real real messed up story there with him being out of sea swimming with his with his son and apparently his last his last words being like go being go get my son and them finding him a day or two later like yeah that 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 was a rough day that was a really rough day so i just like all prayers all condolences and well wishes going out to every, anyone anyone affected by that the outpouring for for shad was really remarkable i i knew that shad was well liked but the degree as to which like what I was seeing on Twitter like really surprised me and I guess like if there was only like one positive to to take away from there it's just how well liked and just loved Shad Gaspar was and how good of a human being he seemed to be yeah I mean from all every report from people who knew him personally like you know he obviously got a uh, lot of respect Um, obviously you know there was a uh there was kind of the stories and all the stuff that came back that that he unfortunately he was super well respected well regarded was looked at as as a positive and and a, and a good guy and then he got partnered up with a tag team partner who maybe like helped him his career in some ways and hurt his career in other ways and held him back in other ways um i remember you know the the reports from him when he was in uh, developmental as being a possible next big thing he had size he had 
you know, the work, he had everything, and then he shows up in WWE and gets put in a tag team that seems like, you know, entertaining and got over and was always over, but again, it was kind of politics maybe and some hiccups backstage that uh, that kept them from uh, from him and both of them from really reaching the heights that they could have. But uh, yeah, both, both big losses. Again, one of them to me feels obviously closer just because he's a guy who I've interacted with and, and you know all that but but shad gaspar another one who again all the reports and everything sounds like a great guy um real unfortunate so this week quentin we are going to we're taking another trip down memory lane this week uh we are uh call her big daddy walter as we're uh reviewing uh 16 carat 2011 um really interesting show overall um I don't know if you want to do any of uh, the background kind of talking about uh, stuff around it like you have been lately on these podcasts. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think one thing one thing we're going to get into is this, this is really not, maybe not the first because like the 2010 one had a little bit of, had some narrative attached to it. But this is the first 16 care where there's like some real like clear overarching story and theme and build to what's going on to it. So... It's, it's it's fitting here. I think that we talk about the 16 carat that happened before this in 2010. In the 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 field here is ours: Matt Jackson, Munenori Sawa, Paul Tracy, Martin Stone, Yuji Okabayashi, Claudio Castagnoli, Johnny Kidd, Kagetora, Nick Jackson, uh, Tommy N, Eric Stevens, Adam Polak, Walter, Daisuke Sekimoto, Chris Hero, Bad Bones, like. Like a really just stacked field, which again is like really just showed you like what 16 karat was even from the early stages. It was just a big like conglomerate of all the of all these wrestlers coming together to create stuff that you would not see anywhere else, that you couldn't see anywhere else, just because WXW was so unique and everything and everything that they put together. Uh, and that tournament that that uh, that year is concluded by Big Walter. Big Van Walter uh, defeating Chris Hero in the final, which is a really good match and really maybe the best match of the year. Honestly, from 2010, people should go back and rewatch that. So, the whole basis of going into 2011 is that Walter does not respect the company. He is uh, in this heel unit, The Mind, with Adam Polak, uh, Karsten Beck, Tommy End, I believe, is in this, and a few, uh, and maybe one or two other of the. Uh, of the uh, germ of the germ of the German wrestlers on a roster, and he destroyed the 16 karat trophy after winning it. Has been on this heel big big heel rampage. This is like the beginning of Walter as the top guy in WXW, which I think is going to be one of the one of the bigger points here too. So, in the in the video package leading up for the 2011 tournament, it all focuses around is Walter going to repeat? Is Walter going to repeat? And that really kind of sets the stage for like Walter's career in WXW as the years go on, but it's really like the best use of him. Like this big monster, this hill to overcome, and they had been using 2010 to finally build him up to that point as a main event guy, and here he is, and he's like being he's being used and having these hot matches that are creating this atmosphere. And I don't think Walter could have been used any better in 2011 here. Yeah, and. You talk about, I mean, 2010, he has what could be the match of the year um, against Chris Hero there. I think some people have talked about that as 
Chris Hero really bringing out the best of Walter at the time. Um, but you watch his tournament run here in 2011, and it's it's really interesting to see just how close to the fully formed ring general Walter that that blew up and became you know the you know un, was it was it 2000. 19 or 2018 where he was the un- 2018 right he's the undeniable wrestler of the year to to some people um and just how much of that kind of act and everything that he becomes is like you're really seeing the fledglings of it here um he's still got a little bit of that baby fat it's not as if he's uh like you know yoked out or, or defined and cut now but he definitely kind of has he de- he's a little bit uh rougher around the edges here he's a little bit smoother in the face you know he doesn't have that same Im- impressive or not impressive imposing kind of look overall um he's, 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 still, he's still a giant baby yeah he's still kind of a giant baby he grows into being more more uh kind of scary <laughs> intimidating um moving forward but the, the way that he wrestles and the way that he makes everything and he he's talked about his kind of his his philosophy of wrestling and making the little stuff matter and it really works when you've got a guy his size up against people so you know noticeably smaller that he's able to do that you know effective with the the little stuff details um pulling up like a list of who were the who was the mind it's it is like sumerian death squad adam polak uh Creston beck and and walter um are basically who they list as the members of the mind so um but i mean the mind is coming off basically um a, a stable that included the people who end up in the finals here uh spoiler alert of this tournament um in the catch tools uh which was a stable that included both uh uh big van volter uh walter and sammy callahan and this is kind of the what i wanted to talk about when you when you compare uh you look at 2010 um you know you've got the young bucks wrestling against each other i think they put them um, at some point, they have a match against each other. I think no, no, actually, they both lose. They, they, they do. It's a. Yeah, I think yeah. it's on the third night. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They wrestle each other non-tournament match on the third night. Um, and they've really only had like a couple matches against each other since they became like a known Young Bucks thing um, in PWG and then here basically. Um, and uh, you know they had tons of matches against each other before they were known as the Young Bucks and they're like kind of backyardy or whatever, wearing masks, doing like their own kind of version of the Hardy Boys thing. Um, but uh, 2010, first opening night, you get uh, Walter beats Sakamoto, and Chris Hero beats Bad Bones. Bad Bones had won not the previous year, but the year before. Um, Isuke Sakamoto, obviously, for spoiler alert, in 2011, is the champion defending the title all three nights um, successfully. You've got Walter and Hero, the guys who end up being the finals of 2010, dispatching with those two big scalps on the first night, leading into like basically making it very clear they're the favorites to win the whole thing. Um, and they they come down to them too in the finals. Like really great storytelling, like overall for the tournament there to set it up in the first night so clearly. These are the two guys, and then when you get to the match, it delivers. Fantastic stuff. But uh, back to the, the what I was getting at is, um, so I was interested. What kind of set me off was on night three we get a uh, WXW World Tag Team Title match, um, where the Mind, uh, Adam Polak, and Christian Beck. Uh, beat Bad Bones without a partner um, because his partner, I don't know if he's injured or just not there. Um, and I was like, oh, that's odd. And Adam Polak, I was like, why the fuck? I can't think of... Who. And then I realized he was the manager of Cerberus. And I was like, damn, yeah. he like he's, he completely doesn't... Like, completely changed and was so charismatic when he was a wrestler and younger. And then when he was the manager of Cerberus, he like really took a back seat. And I was like, oh, I forgot just like how charismatic he was. 
Um, as a even in Cerberus, when you would watch like the promos and stuff, like uh, like the way him and Ilya would um, the way him and Ilya would 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 interact was always really inter- was really entertaining. Yeah, it was just like he didn't he didn't take center stage. He let the wrestlers right. be the stars of the act, and but then meanwhile, when he was a wrestler, he was very like the center of it. So I was like, oh, okay, this is weird. And then I was like looking into the the tag team titles and just the history of the WXW tag team titles, and I noticed something weird when I saw. Oh, Sammy Callahan won, was the tag team champions with, with uh, John Moxley as a Switchblade conspiracy. When I went into their their history as the tag team champions, I saw that it shows the first match of their tag team title run um, was the catch holes, Walter and Sammy Callahan against um, the cartel. And then for some reason, at the same day, and the match that he actually wins the tag team titles is Switchblade Conspiracy against the Cartel. So I went back and looked at it. It was um, True Colors 2009, and it opens up basically Sammy Callahan, Big Ben Walter. They're all in the catch pools with also with the Cartel, which is uh, Shaw Samuels and uh, ah fuck, I can't remember the other uh, guy's name. He's a British wrestler. Um, either way. Uh, anytime we can't, we can't, we can't remember an English wrestler's name. I just want to assume it's Joel Redman. I think it was Joel Redman. I think you're right. No, uh, it was. Uh, I I'm not going to look it up right now. But either way, um, <laughs> it was just Joel Redman. We're just insane. Joel, Joel Redman. Um, so, oh, here it is. I actually have it pulled up already. It's a uh, Terry Frazier. Um, the way the match goes down is it's like a kind of a classic horseman beatdown thing. Walter power bombs Sammy Callahan out of his boots. And the cartel and Walter beat the shit out of Sammy. Midway through the match, John Moxley shows up, and then that's where we get the Switchblade conspiracy win the the titles in the opening match of the show, and then continue. This is a, a this is like a DDT four situation where it's a tournament where the tag team titles are on the line in every match. So now they're mm. defending the titles um, later on in the night in a four way match, uh, four way tag team match. Um. So that was interesting. I was like, "Huh, that's a weird way to go." Especially to think this is 2009, and we build up to the the finals of 2011, uh, uh, 16 Carat with Walter versus Sammy. It's like that's interesting to think that Walter turned on Sammy here, and Sammy talks shit. You know, you big fat whatever he calls him, I'm a piece of shit. You disrespected the the the, the uh, trophy, all that. And meanwhile, you look, and, and it was years ago that, that Walter turned on him. So they kind of had bad blood going back two years at least. So I looked into it a little bit more, and it's like... So Sammy debuts in the 16 Carat in 2019 in the alternate's four-way, and he wins. But he's not you know, in the tournament because he's just an alternate. He doesn't actually get into the tournament. He has some matches. He has some shows. He's you know, obviously pretty popular. Down the line, a couple months later, he wins the tag team titles. He keeps the tag team titles into 16 Carat 2010, where Walter wins the, the tournament and, and destroys the trophy. And, you know, he defends the tag team titles throughout the tournament. So that's why he's not in the tournament, right? He's a tag team champion defending the, the tag team titles. So he's kind of like, well, this is why he's not in the tournament. He, he showed up. He was the alternate. He won the four-way. He's looking pretty strong. He wins the tag team title. So you keep him away from kind of the singles division. And now it's been bubbling underneath where 2010, Walter wins the tournament. And Sammy sees this fucker who turned on him and chose to go, you know, fucked it, tried to fuck him out of winning the tag team titles. It was supposed to be his tag team partner. Um, he does win the tag team titles, even though, and now he sees this guy 
wins this big tournament and then completely disrespects it and breaks the trophy to turn around and then come back in 2011 and be in the finals against him to win the so it was interesting i'm like how much of that was intentional it seems like an intentional story arc from the beginning of sammy callahan he comes in in 16 carat he looks good but he's not in the tournament the next year he's not in the tournament because he's defending the tag team titles tag team titles that he won after getting fucked over by walter walter wins the tournament and then he comes back here to win the you know win the tournament from walter so I was just like, damn, that's like a pretty cool story arc to tell from the beginning of when he debuts in the company until here. And you listen to the crowd and they love him. And the crowd has always loved Sammy Callahan. When he comes back after being in WWE, it was insane how popular he was um, in WXW. He And he goes to the semifinals and loses to the eventual winner of uh, Zack Sabre Jr. that year. I think it was 2016. So it's like the, the yeah, yeah the, the WXW booking and the wxw crowd have always been in love with sammy callahan i mean it makes a lot of sense because he really hit the sweet spot especially like at this time and even earlier where he was the kind of guy that could do deathmatch stuff when the wxw crowd were still really into that but he could also do the just like kind of hard-hitting strong style stuff so it's just odd to see especially because at this time you know and throughout this time he sammy callahan was he was popular in certain crowds but like if you were a I watch PWG, I watch ROH kind of wrestling fan. You didn't even really know who the fuck Sammy Callahan was. I remember he like showed up a little bit in ROH and really didn't feel like anything special. You know, and meanwhile, um, in places like CZW, WXW, um, even 2CW, other places like that, he's like, uh, he's a big fucking deal. So I just thought that was interesting to think that WXW really, you know, how much of it was planned exactly and how much of it was just going with him getting over. But it just seemed like a very logical story arc that just like developed like perfectly from his debut to winning the tournament here um so i think we were think, i think we frame it that way it is it is more interesting it does make more sense why sammy got this big push because he was already like over and has some history there so when you like look at the field of this 2011 tournament so we have uh why sasaki yoshihito sasaki carnage colt cabana zack saber jr Mark Haskins, Adam Cole, Goshi Ozaki, Johnny Moss, Rico Bushido, Walter, Davey Richards, John Ryan, Tommy N, Sammy Callahan, Katara Suzuki, El Generico. I mean, look at these names. There's some people there that, like, had worked WXW before, but, like, not necessarily as extensively as Sammy Callahan has. And, like, plus a particular role that Sammy Callahan filled, being this, like, plucky, fiery, feisty underdog. Like... Zach is a WXW guy. We mentioned that we mentioned that all the time that Zach's real home promotion is WXW. Um Mark Haskins was working there pretty often. Johnny Moss was getting looks there. Obviously Walter, Tommy Ender are WXW guys. But this is actually before Al Generico hit his ride in WXW really. So when Generico comes back and he won and he wants the title and he's uh facing everybody and he gets his Walter match and he's facing uh Axel Tischer and all this shit, like this is still before that. So at the time, like when you look at it from that perspective, Sammy Callahan was maybe the most well-liked guy for the WXW audience for someone that wasn't like a regular there either. Yeah, he had he, the crowd liked him. He fit the mold for them. He could work a lot of different styles and for the narrative arc of Walter spit in the face of the company the year before, Sammy was the guy who had the history with Walter doing a similar thing to him um that he can say I'm going to avenge you know, and it makes it into, I'm avenging the company, but it's also about avenging himself. Hmm. It's like, pretty, pretty much the whole thing is like a, 
big narrative story, big uh, revenge story for for Sammy. But like I said, I'm not sure how much of this was planned, though. More than just like going with what was like presented to them already. That hey, Sammy's pretty popular. How about we just run? How about we run with this? Right. It seems if you look at it, it seems like to this point, the guy that Sammy has the biggest beef with in WXW is Walter. Um, so it makes sense to build to that, to, to that match, but it also could just be, like you said, that he's over and that's it. Um, so it's interesting. And also it's like, it's Walter and it's, it's easy to take it for granted, especially watching even at this time, um, that Walter is like the star of WXW. Like even yeah. in 2011, I mean, you have Daisuke Sakamoto as the champion here, but he really feels like a special attraction feature while Walter is the, it's, is, it's a plus. Yeah. Like, which, which is like, even if you don't want to, even if you don't want to say that Walter is like great in 2008, in 2009, 2010, by 2011, he's already like the, the star guy in WXW, which right. says a lot that they already have, they are always have plans and ambitions for him, but it took three years for that stuff to get there. And by 2011, he is pretty, he has the whole tournament, uh, based around him and who can beat him. And, He's beating the shit out of Sammy in the vinyl and everything like that. Like, the whole thing is based around who can stop this big machine of a man. So, I think I think for Walter and Sammy Stakes, like this was like a big pivotal point in in both of their careers. Because I think WXW, I would call that like other than CZW, which well, you know, which were like you know, which someone of Sammy's one of Sammy's home feds, but other than CZW, this was like the first big stamp that Sammy got that we believe in this guy. We like this guy and here we are putting, putting our money where our mouth is and giving them and giving this guy this tournament win. Yeah. I mean, um, kind of the, the, uh, the run in WXW and, and how over Sammy, Sammy gets here in, uh, in Germany is the, the beginnings of him becoming the worldwide desperado. Uh, <laughs> so it's kind of, uh, it's kind of the uh, the start of that, and it's 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 so funny to see this Sammy Callahan. And what was really crazy was I watched the tournament first, obviously 2011. Um, I had watched it and then got intrigued and went back to watching the that that old stuff. Um, and 2011 Sammy Callahan looked, you know, indie looks ridiculous, looks like you know dirty ugly fuck as his as the stable is but 2009 <laughs> sammy callahan i mean he looked like yeah. a joke <laughs> compared like i was like damn 2011 was really a step up for him and he, sammy, he looks like a troll doll yeah like sammy callahan is such a weird guy when it comes to looks and everything i mean he has such a complex about being a fat kid it's really fucking weird um so much so it even like really stands out to me when he calls walter a fat ass before their their match where i'm just like god it like it eats up i think it really does eat up it's, it's, it's understandable and then like he loses all the weight like like, like started wrestling with a chip on his shoulder and being really stiff and then he like gets puffy H- hgh body so like so like you, you can see the through line there yeah definitely he's Sammy definitely has this weird complex. Um, I always remember, like, I think it was a, that... I, I fucking referenced this. It was a seminal uh, moment for me, or a seminal DVD for me in the history of my wrestling fandom. The uh, Best Unsigned Talent shoot DVD that was, like, uh, Rich Swan, I think Ricochet, maybe. It might not have been Ricochet, and Sammy Callahan. Um, RF video shoot where they're talking about how they're, like, the best wrestlers in the world that aren't signed or whatever. It was probably Rich and Sammy, since Rich and Sammy were, were real close. Yeah, yeah. They even wrestle each other in, like, a private custom match for uh, RF video. So uh, take that with uh, with what you mail at the end of the DVD. Um, 
But uh, but Callahan is uh, talking about how just how jacked and ripped he is, and he looks like this. Like he looks like how he does in 2011. I mean, the video is probably from 2011, and it's just so funny. I mean, the guy is so proud of losing all that weight that he's like really like you know has this weird sense of himself that he thinks he but yeah when he's all fucking puffed up from taking a bunch of let's say uh supplements or horse trinkle or horse uh hormones um that he like thinks that he just looks so great and he's so jacked um but yeah i mean 2011 sammy callahan though looks like a fucking like a beast compared to 2009 sammy callahan where he's he's still very small but he's like even smaller i mean he's just like tiny um but uh but yeah, I mean, kind of his whole vibe when he comes into night one, I guess we'll, we'll talk about night one a little bit, but just as we're talking about how over he was night one, I mean, he comes out and there's this giant fucking Sammy Callahan banner that people in the front, like kind of golden circle yeah. area have. And it's like huge, man. I mean, that's the only guy who has something like that. So he's, he's over here and he's going up against Tommy. Like, you trust me. Like I would not be able to, I'm not, I would not be able to tell you why he's so over, but the dude's fucking over. Crowd loves him, and like I said, it's because he's fucking. Again, he's a madman who's willing to bleed for them. This, especially at this time. I mean, people forget WXW. Like they they build their back on the Walter kind of ring comp idea when when WXW becomes very popular. But in the beginning, they were a blood and guts federation. You know, they had a lot of death matches, and Sammy is the guy who's gonna get down there and have some nasty fucking death matches. So the crowd have seen him do that. They've seen him do hard hitting, you know, strong style. So crowd just loves this guy. They really do. Um. What were your big takeaways for you from night one? From night one, uh, I, I mean, uh, one Yoshihiro Sasaki was really fucking good, and obviously, I, I wish like his career didn't get didn't get cut short because man, like the stuff we get from him this this weekend is incredible. Uh, superstar the, the the superstar Mark Haskins. Uh, that that was that was fun to see, uh, seeing Goshi Ozaki feel like such a feeling like uh, feel like like such a good uh, good fit here. Rika Bushido, I hadn't watched him wrestle in a long time. Uh, not bad, but just like man, like he really shouldn't be like wrestling straight up wrestling matches. He should have just been sticking to ambition for the most part. Uh, Davy, I i like i like watching davy this whole tournament i'm not i'm like i'm not i'm not gonna lie to you I, it made me miss watching prime davy um I'm, I'm not sure did you did you get did you feel the same way there yeah i mean i i i enjoyed i enjoyed some of the stuff we got um i went on a little bit of a a, a similar kind of diatribe or, or whatever like a tangent going back looking through um through davy versus zack saber jr matches so i remember they had that uh pwx match that was um kind of bad <laughs> but this match that they have here in the tournament is pretty good so i was like oh yeah davy at this time like i, I i'm not gonna lie i kind of like him um tommy and we talked about it when we when we uh, did uh chapter uh, the chapter 20 review but this is going back four years or even earlier than that and again like tommy end is really good to the point where it, re- it really does make you wonder like what was the hold up on signing on signing this dude because even back then, even as a heel and not having like his look fully down yet and not having that aura about him yet, you still see the potential in him. And that Tommy versus Callahan match is fucking great. And second moto versus Bad Bones, that's about about as good as you, about as good as you expect. But N versus Callahan was easily easily the match of the night on night one. Yeah, night one that was definitely uh, the best match on the show. I thought Walter Bushido was good for what it was setting up Walter. Um, 
but like you said, I mean, Bushido's not a, a great wrestler, but he was a sacrificial lamb here, basically. Um, uh, let's see what else was there. Um, Johnny Moss, uh, he stood out not maybe not completely in this match, but I thought that this match was very good with a uh, Shizaki. Um, but Johnny Moss stood out throughout the night, and he's another one I like. Kind of looked at what's he up to? He's I didn't even realize this. he's a trainer in WWE now. He's a trainer in uh, for NXT. Um, so that's kind of cool. Johnny Moss, uh, he looked good throughout the weekend and I was like, damn, like he's a guy should have got some more, some, some more bookings. You know what I mean? And then it turns out like, at least he's doing something still in wrestling and probably getting paid and having, you know, an all right time. So that was cool to see. Um, it was interesting cause I did, we, we were talking before we started about reviews and looking up stuff and I found some old message boards type stuff uh, all over the place. And it was interesting how much <laughs> I saw of people like shitting on people in the tournament that were like to me i was like they were pretty good like bad bones getting a lot of hate and i was like i don't know i thought his match with sakamoto was pretty good um yeah, I, remember, I, remember, I remember people didn't like bad bones i remember that being a thing yeah i think especially american fans just never got into bad bones you know like he was never never real popular with american fans shizaki getting some hate even here and i feel like a lot of that is again it's like that that failed ace stink kind of colors people's perception of of shizaki's entire career um so it's really unfair the way people malign him. Um, it was funny the way the crowd... Did you notice that the crowd constantly, like, the way that they chant for him is Geo Saki, it sounds like? Did you notice that? Yeah. <laughs> it was very yeah, I, weird. I, 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 yeah, it, yeah. I, I, but I, that, was, that, was, that was probably a, confu- a confusing one for them, but still. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like a language barrier thing, but I was just like very... I thought it was very funny the entire tournament. They're calling him Geo Shaki. And I'm just like, I mean, I guess that rolls off the tongue, you know, kind of, but it's it's not his name. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know what was another a stand-up for me, and I, I posted something. Uh, Sabre versus Cabana. Um, they had they had a really good match in uh, AAW as well um, in the past. And, like, I think that Zack Sabre Jr. is, like, one of Colt Cabana's best opponents, honestly. And yeah, not, he... <laughs> Yes. Yeah, like not. Uh, I know that a lot of people will say like you know Cabana had his best matches with like Homicide, um, with uh, with Punk, you know, and that's true. But I think that like for really letting Cabana show off all of his best features as an act, like Saber is one of the best people to to go up against him because Saber can do the world of sport comedy stuff, you know, the world of sport stuff with him, the mat wrestling, the comedy stuff, but he can also you know get into the bruising and, and people overlook how much of a brawler again I talk about like the the homicide matches being Colt's best stuff like he can be a brawler too so Zach is able to match him in all of those ways to where he gets to show off everything he can do um against one opponent and I mean they have n- none of they none of their matches are better than like you know the cabana and and homicide stuff but still like I think that to get to really show off just how good all around cabana is like I don't think that there's anybody who he's had better matches just to showcase his own talent than to me. Saber. To me, it's, to me, it's like I think people forget that Colt's a big wrestling nerd. Like the same things that we praise, like Chris Hero for, like Colt Cabana could easily be doing. He just didn't want to do that. He like chose he chose to go down a different road. But Colt Cabana is the same kind of wrestling nerd that Chris Hero is. Yeah, Hero, Punk, Cabana, Prezak, the whole Gold Bond Mafia guys were all taped traders and watching like 
you know, Hero watched just as much World of Sport and European wrestling as Colt did, but Hero also got really big into, like, a lot of the Japanese stuff and, like, to bring that stuff into his style. Like, Hero brought a diversity of stuff, but they were all watching all those tapes together and trading with each other, and, yeah, they're, like, huge wrestling nerds. Those That whole crew was, like, big into this stuff, so... So, yeah, like, to see Colt kind of get to... I mean, Saber's a big wrestling nerd guy, too. So, like, to get to see them both kind of do that together and match up pretty well, I think it it, it works really well. Um, so, yeah, night two... Uh, I don't know, big takeaways from night two. I uh, mean, Sammy, ver- Sammy versus Y Sasaki. <laughs> yes. Fucking insane. Fucking hell, like, that kicked so much ass. Yeah. Um, uh, even um the, the, the Future Shock tag on this night was really good, too. It went, it went pretty long, which is... I went... Uh, look, look at this! Look at the match times and everything here. Uh, less than five minutes in the opener, uh, six minutes, a uh, minute and a half, uh, eight minutes, eight minutes, and then twenty-two, and then twenty-three minutes here, and then like, <laughs> th- like nothing else goes nearly that long on this show. Like they just let those guys in Future Shock just do whatever the fuck they wanted this weekend. Yeah, Future Shock, and I think at this time, I mean, Future Shock was. I mean, I don't even know if they were called Future Shock. No, I think they were, yeah, yeah. When they were put together as a tag team, they were called Future Shock and ROH. But uh, but they were not, like, as big of a deal anywhere. But WXW gave them, you know, as much time. And it's, I mean, Emil Satoshi, love him or hate him, I think that a lot of people dislike him. Um, I think that he has his merits. I don't think that he's great. But, yeah, like, he... He, 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 he fits in a spot in a spot fest tag like that. Definitely. He definitely fits in there. But could you imagine if it had been almost just like someone who generico had a history with like god forbid like kevin steen but could be really anyone else in there um who generico yeah was. imagine if they yeah they, or they could have gave him like um i don't know like like axeman's here in a four-way Ooh. like imagine if, yeah imagine, imagine if that was like generico and tisha versus future shock <laughs> right or tommy end something like that like yeah like, yeah could have had some it's could have had some fun there but uh but that said it is a good match it's not I don't think this match is remembered as much as the Future Shock match on the third night, um, which... Uh, of course not, yeah. Yeah, out of anything uh, on the entire tournament, that's the match that I've probably seen, the, I was going to say, the most recently, but also probably the most in general. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the one that kind of... The, the history of this tournament, to me, like, that match stands out just because of the guys who are in it and the quality and what they go on to do in the future. Um, Haskins versus Walter... It made oh. me sad that we never really got like a big version of that. Yeah, um, like in progress when they and, both were. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. In, tw- in 2015, 2016, it made me sad that we never got like that we never got like a bigger version of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, go, go versus uh, go versus Kataru. Kataru Suzuki can be hit or, can be very hit or miss, but I thought go him and Go had a really good match there, and Davey and Zach. Davey, you mentioned it. Davey and Zach have really good chemistry. Yeah. Uh, the PWX match, even even a few years ago, was still really good, and that was and that's Davy at the tail end of his career, and this is one of like Zach's like first like or, like one of, one of, one of, like some of his early like great single stuff. Um, most of his early great single stuff came in WXW with him getting shots against guys like uh, Ryan, Claudio, Davy, Togo, all that stuff, and. You know, this, like I remember when I was going through Zach's WXW career, like this is one of the matches that really, really knocked me on my ass. Like, man, like they just did so much and looked so crisp and so great and so nasty all in that thirteen minute span. Yeah, and it's crazy to think that it's like probably another four years or so before Zach gets brought into PWG because, you know, this 2010, 2011 Davey was like the PWG kind of guy, and the way that he 
meshes with Zach so well here, Zach would have fit in perfectly there at the time. And it's just, it's kind of a bummer to think, but it is kind of that, you know, that this was a different time. Guys weren't getting flown out from European indies to wrestle in America. Um, so it, it makes a lot of sense that it wasn't happening, but it is kind of crazy to think like if the way that the wrestling world got in the like late 2010s, um, if it had been like that just a little bit earlier where more and more people were getting flown around, more and more people were like making big trips on the indies, just how much more insanely cool stuff we would have got. That said, I mean, WXW, you just mentioned it, but like there is that best of Zack Sabre Jr. kind of like DVD or video or whatever it is. It's on streaming services. I think it's, what is it called? Like Burning Spirit, Burning Heart. Uh, mm. That has a lot of really fucking great Zack Sabre Jr. in WXW matches that people probably haven't seen, you know, so you know you mentioned a, a good amount of them there so it's like go check those out um yeah i thought that shizaki and suzuki was an odd thing to book in a tournament like this especially wxw really doesn't do this a lot in the tournament um, exactly they usually like like they, they like spread it out it's like okay yeah. we're gonna have these guys we're gonna we're gonna use them for like the other people and like do things that we wouldn't be able to do otherwise right but but as the match went went and happened i kind of really enjoyed it for what it was because it felt like a Noah showcase match happening in WXW and they really delivered. And I, you know, you could beg and say, Oh God, I wish that there was like a lot of better people than Suzuki to be the person that you have this match with, with, with Shizaki um, to be like the Noah showcase, but he, he fit his role and, and it was really about Shizaki. And I, that, again, that's why I think it's so fucking crazy to look back and see the message boards talking about, how disappointing Shizaki was over this whole weekend, and I'm like, what are you fucking talking about? Like, yeah, yeah, no, man. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but like you said, like that's at the point in time where everyone is still like going with this Shizaki failure narrative, which again, like a lot, a lot of that like wasn't even like Go's fault. Like if you right. go and like like grow like really like go and like reanalyze that stuff, but he's always been a very good wrestler. Go back to all of his Noah stuff, most of his ROH stuff. All Japan, even coming back to now, whatever. He's always been a very good wrestler. It just came back to a point in time where he just wasn't like a trendy person to like. Yeah, yeah, and he was he was kind of a trendy person to hate. And it was it's one of these guys who's like just gets shit on because of business, and it, it fucking sucks. And I, you know, I'm not a hundred percent in this camp because I like there is like a new breed of wrestling fan, online wrestling fan, which I enjoy. Um, you know, their their kind of take of what they say, but I'm not like a hundred percent in this camp. But the people that are like talking about the business aspect of wrestling is pointless, stupid, and let's just not even mention it. And I get the sentiment and I appreciate it. Um, I'm not a hundred percent in that camp because I think that you can't necessarily talk about, I mean, even if let's say like I, I skew my perception of it a little bit. And that's to say that like being over and having the crowd invested in you is a sign of, of being good, you know, for the business, let's say for the business side of things. Um, it's just like, basically a marker it's a way to to tan like physically tangibly show that the crowd is invested in you because they're literally invested in spending money to see you um and i don't think that you can 100 percent separate that from the concept of professional wrestling i have in the past you know somewhat jokingly and somewhat i mean it 100 percent seriously said that like professional wrestling as an art form <laughs> should be like a government or like a, a, a cultural good that's subsidized by the government. And then that way we can take the business aspect of it out and we can just like, uh, you know, we can just purely enjoy it on the merits of the artistic expression and not worry about the business aspects of things. But we don't live in, you know, my socialist utopian, uh, ideal world where everything is, you know, everything that I enjoy is, uh, you know, 
allowed to just exist freely without having to deal with the 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 sullied waters of of capitalism um so but that said i mean i think that go gets shit on because he did bad in business and people equate that to being bad at wrestling and that's not the case there's plenty of wrestlers who historically did not draw money but were very good wrestlers (laughs) like that is not you know those things are not mutually exclusive but again like i don't 100 percent buy into this camp of being like I don't give a shit at all about business metrics because I still think that it's an important part of wrestling. Um, but I do think that you can be a good wrestler and never make it, you know, never draw any money. Um, and go, unfortunately gets, gets painted with the, the brush of being a bad wrestler just because he was bad at the box office, which is fucking yeah, stupid because he wasn't. Yeah. That's such a weird thing too. It happens to everybody. Like some people like, I guess deserve it more than others. Even, or even like the narrative that like Kevin Nash was a terrible wrestler. You know, you know, you know, like even that as like, like Nash wasn't terrible. Like, should he have been like pushed away? He did, or what? He was he put in spots where he could be exposed? Because like, um, like just Vince was just Vince wasn't good at booking big guys anymore. Sure, but like, I don't think that ever meant that like Kevin Nash was a te- was a, was a terrible wrestler. Yeah, I think that mechanically, obviously, he was never the smoothest. But I think that he had an aura, he had a presence, and he knew how to deliver. In with for his character really well, and I think that people overlook those aspects when they just go like, yeah, like he's a box office flop. He was limited in the sense that like he wasn't really allowed to to have a lot of matches that were showcase wrestling matches. He had you know the, everyone points to the really good match with Bret Hart and being there's a Bret Carey job or whatever, and that's fine, but that's also like a specific kind of thing that you're looking at there. Um, and he yeah, he's another one who just gets painted with that brush, and I think you know. To this day, I think that Kevin Nash, one of the smartest wrestlers in the history of the business, made so much money, you know, politically maneuvering, um, and he wasn't terrible. Like, he really, he really was not terrible. He got, towards the end, he really fell apart physically, which is unfortunate because he's just so big, and he was, you know, not built for professional wrestling, really. But uh, when he was young, I mean, he, he could, he could have matches. He was never, like, a physical specimen, but he was a psychological, you know, beast and he could definitely deliver a story um so yeah so what else oh uh colt the only thing i forgot to mention on the first night but colt cabana is the nwa champion here which is kind of neat just to have the nwa champion in your tournament yes yes, good that's a neat thing uh moss versus sakimoto again this is kind of more where i'm noticing moss standing out this was it was a good match i mean this is the kind of thing that like wouldn't feel out of place in Big Japan right now, where people are going nuts for you know Yuji Okabayashi and, and Daisuke Sakamoto stuff. I mean, this this Johnny Moss versus Sakamoto match would fit right in in 2018, 2019. Be, uh, Big Japan is like a match that would be heralded by a lot of people talking about just how good it is. What was that fucking match? Uh, was it Okabayashi? And he it was a British wrestler that people were going nutty for from the Strong Climb. Um, uh, God damn it! Either a way, br- it a matter. British wrestler. Yeah, I think it was a British wrestler. It was definitely a, uh, uh, it was a Gaijin uh, wrestler. Uh, oh, um, that's from the uh, Champions Carnival. Oh, from the Champions versus, Carnival. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was it was him versus uh, Dylan James. Yes, uh, James Rydeen. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that match and that match was good, but it's like, oh, you know, this match would be just as good as that. No, uh, maybe that yeah, match would be better. Effectively the same thing. Yeah. yeah, very close. You know, it's like, okay, people would go crazy for this probably too. Uh, and again, good on Johnny Moss for getting a paycheck from WWE still. Um, so now we get into night three, and this is the only night that me and you were committed to reviewing the whole thing. Um, I don't know how much you really want to review the whole thing, though, but we can talk about the important stuff still um 
But uh, but yeah, we open up the night with the first, and this I thought was really smart to open up the night here with the with the tournament match between Sammy Callahan and Davy Richards. Uh, these Oof. two come out of the gate on fucking fire, and this is where you're talking about like peak Davy Richards. The, the you know for everything bad that you can say about bad Davy Richards. He does all the same tropes here, but there's something about this time period where I just I enjoy it. I like it. You know, I just it's, 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 it's the time. Like to yeah. me, it's like there's nothing wrong with like with fitting the time. I think that's why people like kind of like when they like critique uh, movies and music and all the stuff on the time. It's like okay, like it's it's nice when things age very well, but there's something about just like something like fitting the time, and I think. Like really, like no matter like if like everyone cr- go back and cringe at the era where we were calling Davy Richards the best wrestler in the world, it's like he fit the he fit the times, and I think Semi Callahan is, is an example is an example of that too. And like all you want is these two guys to go out there and hit each other hard as fuck in twenty eleven. You want want them to go out there and hit and chop and kick each other hard as fuck, and uh to sit there like and hear and hear the strikes and have this pissing competition like that that was the time and i don't think that we should like penalize davy for like thinking that thinking that an entire time period and age very well because like that little like two two year window like hey man that's that's i think davy's on body embodied that more than anybody yeah I mean, that's definitely a fair way to look at it. I mean, you know, and it's it's not like this style and the Davy Richards thing doesn't go in and out of vogue. I mean, it's happened many times, ebbs and flows in the history of wrestling. And again, like Davy just happened to be the guy at this time, this time that this became the thing. And I mean, yeah, this is a pissing contest in the purest sense. I mean, there's not a lot of no selling, which I think becomes like the, the stereotypical say that there's no selling. But there's definitely it's a lot of a bridge selling. They register the strikes, they register the big bombs, but they're quickly on the attack right afterwards. Um, or, 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 or it's like delayed selling, where it's like yeah. they'll like sit there and like have an adrenaline rush and go ahead another move on the person, but then like collapse afterwards. Right. The sec- and it's, I mean, it's, it's not insane. I've talked, I talked about it in the past, where it's like adrenaline can get you through, and it is not insane to think that like you get to where you're safe, where you feel safe for a second, and then that's when you like. St- take a step back but when you're in the heat of the battle you you can't stop you know and it, it kind of in some ways it makes sense um and that said on top of that i mean these guys are fast and high octane and this match is under 10 minutes and they beat the fuck out of each other the whole time but uh but they also have some slick hold trading which makes sense because both guys have won matches in the tournament to this point with submissions and so they're both you know you're they're believably dangerous on the mat with with actual grappling and holds as well so it's like for all you want to say about it being shitty and having nothing to it i mean there is some psychology there is some some stuff other than just fast hard strikes there's also some some grappling and and some you know training counters of of holds back and forth um there's a superplex davy takes him up for the superplex and i was like i heard the uh, someone in the crowd you know scream brain buster and instantly i was like ah god damn it he's gonna do that spot you know the roll through on the big superplex into the um, into the Falcon Arrow, but uh, he hits the superplex and they sell it. It's just the superplex and that's it. So I was like, oh shit! Like this wasn't even like full, you know, crazy Davy. You know, does the rolls through the superplex spot. He doesn't even do it. He sells it. Um, yeah, I mean, 
In the pantheon of when people talk about, you know, greatest sub-10-minute matches of all time, I mean, this is probably not in that conversation, really, but it's really good for a sub-10-minute match, and it's, like, a great way to open up the tournament, or open up the last mm. night in the tournament. You know, I thought it was I thought it was a really great way to open up the show, um, and these guys just, yeah, they beat the shit out of each other. Um, follow that up, tag team match, um, Suzuki and Haskins versus Cabana and Satoshi. Um, it's another match where, yeah, Satoshi is kind of, uh, I'll say a third wheel, but, but it's odd because he also is like kind of playing a little bit more heel, um, especially on Haskins. Um, he, yeah, Satoshi's career is so weird. Just like the, all the constant baby face and heel and baby face and heel changes. Like he could just never stick to anything. Yeah. He was, I mean, he was a preempt or he's a kind of career tweener, um, and and really just like always goes back and forth between the two um i mean this was it was kind of long for what it was i didn't really get much out of it if i'm perfectly honest um and i think that you could have made it a little bit shorter and and it would have you know gotten more enjoyed it a little bit more it had some cool stuff but it was just it felt really like a mishmash and just like a tag team match that was thrown together and and I think that historically big tournaments like this um, are a lot better when a match like this, rather than being just a straight up like two on two tag team match, um, is like you do like a trios because then it can feel a lot more like a like a star studded affair where you like have a bunch of like you know special outsiders who are here for the weekend just having this big match where you get to like show off some cool interactions. And I also thought that it was really odd because Haskins really like kind of played face in peril for a lot of the match. And then he wins the match with like a cheap shot with the belt. It didn't make any sense to me really. Um, so yeah, I don't know. What, what did you think of the match overall? Um, yeah, I guess, I guess, my, I guess my main takeaway is that, uh, Mark Haskins is still like really good up. Even in this time period, we talked about how 2015 is when he hits his stride and 2016, he's this like super molten hot act. But, even then, I think I feel like this period of Mark Haskins is never going to get the credit as he was even back then with the superstar thing, and he wasn't standing out as much. He was always a very valuable guy to have around and just put, put just put him in matches. Definitely, definitely, yeah. And I think again, like I said, I think that there was some cool stuff with Haskins and Suzuki kind of working as a tandem and doing trading some stuff off. But I think that it would again if it was like a trios or something i think you could have got a little bit more of like it feels like a big time happening you know like oh cool we're never gonna see like these six guys interact with each other ever again in this way um that said we still got a little bit of that here but i just think that having a couple more people can make it feel bigger it's like you know you've got like singles match moss and ryan i think maybe you just add them to this match and do a trios and it's like it can feel like a big deal um either way after that, we get the the next uh, semifinal match of the 16 karat tournament. Big Van Valter uh, going up against Goshizaki. Um, I don't know what was your what was your take on this one, Quentin? I, I like this a lot. I love the pace. I love the build to it. I loved I loved all of the work in this. It really felt like Walter was at home working working a match like this. I think this is he's had other he's had a match versus other versus other Japanese guys at this point. Uh, I think most notably Takeshi, Takeshi Rikyo, obviously Sakamoto, and all that stuff. But Shiozaki, I think honestly, this might be the most at home he felt in any of his uh, matches versus Japanese guys that I saw from him. That I saw from him at this stage, and yeah, I, I really, I really, really love this, especially in the contrast to the Sammy Callahan and Davy Richards opener, where Sammy and Davy just went at it as soon as the bell rung, and this was a little bit more slow building. 
Yeah. No, definitely. I think I think that they did a really good job because they had built up Shizaki. The crowd is definitely into him and believe in him. And then you get him into here where he gets to play. Honestly, it's it's kind of that you know, Hulk Hogan role against the Monster of the Week kind of thing, even if uh, if uh, Walter is kind of the, the established star of the company. You kind of get that similar vibe where he's playing the... You know, you believe that he's very strong and he's very big, but he's going up against a very imposing giant force who's, like, able to throw him around, but he is still able to get the best of him with some big strikes here and there. Um, So I thought that was good stuff. It is interesting to think about just just how much you don't really get, um, like, prolonged Walter runs in Japan. Um, Because, you know, he kind of... In some ways, he kind of cut his teeth in Japan. I mean, not exactly, but he did early on um in his career and his training kind of do like a little bit of an excursion but like the opposite where instead of going from japan he went to japan um as a young boy to kind of have a little run there and get acclimated to wrestling um and he wrestles i mean he really does wrestle like a strong style for you know lack of a better way to say it and he's had his you know run-ins with with primarily uh, sakimoto seems to be like the guy that he has the most uh kind of interactions with out of japanese wrestlers um, but, uh, you know, even to the point where, like, he recently was in that tag team match in, you know, last year uh, with Sakimoto as his tag team partner. Um, so it is just kind of, like, interesting. I mean, it, it plays into the whole Walter thing, too, where, like, the fact that even when he signed with WWE, the idea was he was still going to stay in Germany and he's never going to leave, you know. So that's probably a big part of why he never had a long run in Japan as well. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, this match and a lot of other matches that he's had in the past with Japanese wrestlers and also in Japan. It feels like a place that he would have, like, fit in perfectly. Um, but we just never get, like, a prolonged Walter run in Japan. There was that time where it felt like there was a New Japan tease, which would have been very interesting, but uh, did not did not come to pass. Um, follow this up, we get uh, Sasaki. Why Sasaki versus Axeman? Um, another one that uh, it's just like, again, you talk about Sasaki's career <laughs> getting cut short. <laughs> Yeah, fucking, you know, uh, Alexander Wolf, Axel Fisher being fucking wasted in WWE. I mean, he's gotten to show off a little bit stuff here and there. And it feels like every god fucking damn time he does something in, like, some stupid tag team match or whatever it is where he does something to show off what he can really do, you hear every stupid fucking pundit and every person who only pays attention to NXT WWE be like, this Alexander Wolf, I think he could actually be good. I think that maybe they should give him a chance. I'll, I'll tell you. Um, Evan, when he when he came in, he was just adamant that Alexander Wolf fucking sucked. Right, and I told him that it was leading up to sanity. Sanity versus a uh, was undisputed era, I guess, or whoever whoever the fuck it was. Right, leading up to San- sanity getting a match at take at Takeover Brooklyn, and I said, "Watch what happens when Alexander Wolf gets something to do. You're gonna see what happens. Match happens." Fucking kicks ass, wolf rules. Mm-hmm. I swear, I come back. I'm just like, holy shit, Alexander Wolf is amazing. And I'm like, I fucking told you, like in 2013, he's one of the best wrestlers in the world. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he's, I mean, he gets majorly overlooked. Um, I think that when he got it's signed, it's insane. It's insane how overlooked he is. Like, it's really wild. Like, even the Ilya stuff from from last year and this year is fucking amazing. Oh, I know. And, and, and barely anyone talked about it. It's not even just NXT. I mean, he was so good at this time period. And when he got signed, I mean, people like me and you were like, holy shit. I was so stoked when he got signed because I thought 
that it meant that people were going to finally get to see how good he was. Um, and like, it became nothing and it was fucking sad because, but it's like so many people didn't even know who the fuck he was when he was one of the best wrestlers on the planet. He shows up in WWE and they just do nothing with him. Um, and like, yeah, I mean, this match fucking ruled though. Sasaki and, and Axel, I mean, this is, it's similar to the opening match. I mean, they just go to town on each other and just beat the ever living piss out of each other. But it's another one where, you know, these guys are a little bit bigger and, a little bit more athletic, not maybe not more athletic, but it's definitely a little bit more impressive when when you see Axel Thitcher's hitting some fucking crazy ass dives, flying out of the ring, burning hammer onto a chair for the finish. Like what the fuck was yeah. that? Like yeah, this match this match kicked ass. Like this was high octane badass stuff. And again, if it's like if you don't know that you know <laughs> Alexander Wolf, how good he really is, um, this is a match to check out. But there's so many good matches. Like this is. Barely, this is barely like tip of the iceberg of like good matches that you can watch for Axel Thitcher, but this is definitely one that someone could check out and be like, God damn, like I didn't realize Alexander Wolf was that good. Like, you should have. And if you don't think like Tisher is that good, it's like, man, just why is Asaki just, oh, this made, just, just turned, yeah. just, this made me so sad. This made me so, like, he was, oh, <laughs> so fucking good. I know, I know. And he, people barely talk about him. And it's, you know, he had such a, such a short career, really. It is kind of a bummer. Uh, Johnny Moss and John Ryan next. Uh, these two just forever linked together, I guess. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, um, I think they, they, were, they were both the fucking hammerlock te- hammerlock teachers, right? Yeah. Yeah, but like, both but both the head guys both the head guys are hammerlock. Um, just I, I like I like when they, whenever they get to do stuff together. Like I know they got to do this together, and then they eventually did some. Uh, some match, some match in progress too. I think these these guys are always just fun to watch together. It's like good, like sound, fundamental stuff. And like you mentioned, you, you mentioned it earlier, just Johnny Moss is people forget how good he is, and then they go and watch him. And it's like, oh yeah, Johnny Moss is like awesome. It explains why like people like Jimmy Havoc and Zack Saber Jr. have like good bases with like the with with the fundamentals of wrestling. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I mean, they they uh, these guys. Really solid. Moss obviously looks like, you know, he's got that old school kind of bloated, muscled up look. Um, but he can also really fucking go. I mean, these guys, the, the match is really built a lot around like a key lock, you know, double wrist lock. And I think that that's really cool, like going back to it repeatedly. Really cool, like kind of variations on it. Lots of really awesome, you know, wrestling. And a really, for 2011 especially, like a really awesome mix of... Um, pro wrestling holds and shoot holds like MMA BJJ style like grappling and, and submissions which is like awesome to see from two like you know even at this time kind of old timers um, kind of like you know not necessarily looked at as like the, the cutting edge of, of wrestling but that's the thing about fucking wrestling submissions grappling like martial arts like catch wrestling it's People think, you know, like, oh, MMA is, like, relatively new sport or whatever, but it's, like, man, like, grappling and fighting is, like, as old as time. Like, it's the oldest fucking sport is, you know, people fighting, right? Like, trying to, to, trying to submit each other. All other sports, every other form of sport is, like, just, is basically, like, trying to add different rules and come up with, like, a a replacement or a pseudo version of, like, combat and, and the most pure, just, like, basic 
sport that's all it's all based around the idea of combat is legitimate combat like two guys fighting right like so it's it's the it's the most natural sport and it's like it's it's as old as time itself so to see two guys who are like older british wrestlers doing fucking you know kimuras key locks like you know americana type holds as like the big focus point of the entire match and you're like oh man like this would make perfect sense in you know, 2020, but it makes perfect sense in 2010, 2011 as well. Yeah, like, like, like they're kind of before their time, yeah. honestly. Yeah, in some ways, but again, like I said, it, it's it's timeless. You know, basic yeah. grappling is fucking timeless. But yeah, it is before its time because people don't even realize it. But yeah, Moss looks like a million bucks, but but John Ryan is fantastic here. He's here every step with him the whole way through. So yeah, I mean, this is you know what a rule. I wonder if this actually happened, but like, remember when like. Chris Masters was like doing like the like the SoCal indie run. He was facing fucking like Thatcher and all the like the SoCal grapplers. Like Johnny Moss versus Chris Masters would have been awesome. Ooh, yeah, and and Masters had that big run of um uh, in PCW too. So he could have PCW UK, and he so he could, oh shit. Uh, did, did it happen? Dave Mastiff defeats Chris Masters and Johnny Moss in a three way, and. We've got a four-way elimination match: Chris Masters, Dave Mastiff, Johnny Moss, and Rampage Brown. That is big, beefy motherfuckers, and of course, yeah, that's of course that's damn. PCW, <laughs> PCW 2013. Um, so no, no singles match, but a three-way and a four-way, both of which include Dave Mastiff. So, um, could be fun. Uh, followed this up with this is the tag team match that led me down that weird path of of finding like looking back at uh, Sammy Callahan's history which ended up being like uh, kind of important for the context of the podcast so cool stuff Adam Polak as I talked about comes out here cuts a, a promo is super charismatic really good talker speak talking speaking in English um so that you know good for me um makes it easy for me to understand calling out bad bones saying basically give us a title shot even though your tag team partner is not here um what is the the team is like Oberhausen Terror Force or something? Um, it's uh, it's it's supposed to be Bad Bones and another person who I'm looking up at the moment and I can't remember who it is. It's another like WXW regular. Um, when I say it, you're gonna be like, "That's dumb." Oh, it's Carnage, who's been on uh, the tournament. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's Overhausen Terror Corpse. I don't know exactly why Carnage is not in it. I guess maybe it's supposed to be that he got injured in the tournament or something. But he wrestled like earlier in the night, right? Didn't he? Um, so like, yeah, you, yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. He's uh, in the four way. I think. I don't know. Either way. Um, actually, well, no, not, no, not, not, not on this show. On night, on night yeah. two, he was. But he wasn't on this show. Yeah, on night two, he wrestles. So it's interesting to be like, oh, he just isn't here. Um, so we get, uh, we get a uh, bad bones, um, and then uh, who is it who comes out to help bad bones? Um, someone comes out, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm completely, I'm completely blank, blanking, blanking on this one. Yeah, I'm having a, a rough time remembering everything. Either way, uh, pretty quick. Basically, you know, one-sided, two-on-one fight. Uh, the Mind win the tag team titles, um, leading into kind of the storyline of the tournament, you know, especially being that, like, the Mind have a, a man in the main event and they all accompany him to ringside in the finals of the tournament, so it all makes sense. Um, to kind of build that doubt in your mind that it would be, like, likely that uh, that the Mind are going to sweep it here and they're not only going to right. win the tag team titles, but they're also going to win the tournament and uh, be disrespectful and shitty the whole way through. 
I mean, yeah, this is like an angle thing, and it's really, again, it's about building heat for the main event, which is smart. Like, you know, build build that up so that the, the main event feels more important. Um, exactly. It, 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 again, like, effectively, that's, that's, that's all it is here. And I think that over a lot of, like, bad moments there, it's like he gets shots to do stuff all the time, but right here, like, this is just, like, it's, it's Walter's year, it's Walter's story, and doing it to someone like, someone like Bad Bones, who had uh, gotten a title shot on the first night, it just showed you, like, the level that the mind were operating at. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so after this, we get Sakamoto versus uh, El Generico for the WXW Unified World Tag Team. I didn't even realize this um, until looking all this stuff up because I always wondered why they called it the unified title but it's unified because Zack Sabre Jr. unified the heavyweight oh, the light heavyweight title yeah Zack Sabre Jr. unified it uh, when he faced Steve, when he faced Steve Douglas and yeah. like not a good match but yeah that's why I always say that people kind of forget about Zack's WXW history he is literally the first unified champion <laughs> yeah, he's the one who unified the titles and he did it going yeah. the, going up so he was the light heavyweight champion and unified that with the heavyweight championship and relatively early in the company's career which is funny to think that like yeah, he, he did that in like did that in 20 did, he, did that in, he did that in 2009 or 2010 yeah it was I think like 2009 um, and yeah it's interesting because um WXW stuck with it. <laughs> WWE would do something like that, and then they split the titles up like so quickly. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, mm. he does it. Oh, he does it in 2010. Um, but yeah, like WWE has unified titles, and then just he, they just split them back up. But uh, WXW they unified the titles 10 years ago, and the titles are still unified, baby. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> um, what did you think about this Generico versus Sakamoto match? Uh, it's not as good, in my opinion, as the eventual Generico versus Walter. But it's it's right up there in that same level. Oh man, it just made me miss Generico so much. Uh, I think we, we always think of Generico and Generico in the vein as like like this big underdog baby baby face seller and bumper, and it's like this this was on full display here. But even more specific than that, when he's just facing a big beefy dude and just taking his offense and having to fire up and get his comebacks and all that stuff in his home spots. There's 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 no there's no one better than him at that man. It's 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 really criminal. Like how he's how he's probably gonna get remembered when you know he was arguably arguably like the best wrestler in the world for like a couple of years. I mean, arguably the best babyface in wrestling. Like for I, I, I for, for me, I, I'll still call him the best babyface of all time. Like even if it's a, even if it's a short lived run, I will still call the Generico years and even going into like the. Semi Zayn stuff through our evolution 2014. I think that's the best babyface ever. Like I can be like told Steamboat and I can hear like Kobashi and like and other stuff, but for me, like I'm always gonna go Generico. Yeah, there's I mean there's the Rey Mysterio kind of argument as well. Um, but but I can see it in Generico. Think about Generico and this <laughs> this match. He, to me, had a little bit of like. Generico being a little bit of a dick, though, um, yeah. kind of taunting, and and uh, it's his sense of humor, and it makes sense. It kind of sent me down. Th- watching these shows, and I literally watched, I watched all three of the nights, and I know that you kind of cherry picked a little bit on night one and night two. I literally watched it all, and I went on multiple fucking like rabbit holes chasing down stuff. This was not a big one, but watching this and seeing the Generico thing, and I was like, okay, Generico is a little bit of a prick. He's people think of him as one of the greatest babyfaces of all time. It's very true. 
but people forget that he had a great heel runs even as El Generico. And, then, and, even, and even not just heel runs, just like kind of like nuanced stuff, like yeah. Rick, like Ricochet and PWG. Like it wasn't like heel, but like Ricochet just kind of pissed him off. So it's like, you know what? All yeah. right, fuck this. <laughs> yeah. So he has like grumpy vet kind of heelish tendency stuff. He has like in here where he's not he's not just a pure bumping you know white meat baby face. He like does some like stuff where he's mocking and and it really feels like hubris when it's El Generico going against Daisuke Sakamoto. It's like what the fuck are you doing, man? Don't try to mock him or anything, but. But, uh, but he does a little bit of that. So I went on a little bit of a rabbit hole. It was This was very tiny, but I was looking up uh, as much of the Big Larry stuff as I could find. Um, just because okay. <laughs> the, 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 the El Generico, you know, sense of humor, let's say, um, is uh, very unique. <laughs> he definitely has a, a sense of humor that is a little bit of an edgelord, and he's definitely can be a little cocky. And uh, so yeah, I was just like, oh yeah, Big Larry. I remember Big Larry. Not uh, uh, at, least, at least back then, people are allowed, people are, are allowed and to change, and their humors can grow and right. they can mature as people. But at one point, Big Larry was the baddest black man in town. It's it's, it's definitely not super woke, and uh, you know he would definitely in 2019, Big Larry would get canceled, unfortunately. But uh, but yeah, it is it is the like, you know. He definitely has like there's a sense of humor and there's a there's an interesting way that he can play as a heel um, that I think that people overlook and then when he was on this big heel run that he was just having in WWE I think people were starting to see like oh yeah like he's pretty good at this and I know a lot of people were pissed off when they were like you have literally the best babyface of all time and WWE what do they do they're making him a heel manager and it's like oh okay oh, it's not that but like. That, that, that was always my thing when people got mad at him and turning heel. I'm like, okay, but are you actually watching his matches? Like, yeah. he's really good at being a heel. Yeah, he's a good heel. <laughs> Fuck it. Like, it, it's, it's not it's not it's not his fault to like 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 bogging his shit down with like interference or whatever. Just like go watch the matches. Like, he's good at it. Yeah, and it's like I'm I'm sorry, but it's WWE. You they had Rey Mysterio. If you want to make an argument that you know El Generico. Sami Zayn, what is his real name? Like Remy Saban or whatever. Like, um, yeah, it's like it's like Remy, Remy Sabak or something. Yeah, you want to make an argument that he's the best babyface of all time? Sure, but if you want to compare that lane, that style of babyface, like Rey Mysterio is like the best, you know, underdog, undersized, underneath seller in a mask, like luchador babyface of all time. I mean, it's like it's really hard to argue that. And WWE, uh, I, 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 I think that, I think they occupy different spaces, kind of though. Where like right. Ray, like where where Ray is just like 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 a superhero kind of. You could like relate to Sammy even like in the generico mask with like certain stories and everything. As to where like Ray was like you know he's larger than life. He's a big superhero, and Sammy is just like he's like, under this goofy gimmick, but like he has feelings. He doesn't want to hurt Kevin. Doesn't want to fight him and all this stuff. And then eventually, like every man has a breaking point. Right, and then and then and then even as a uh, unmasked, it's like Sammy's like super fiery and passionate and fucking uh, slaps Neville across the face for for uh, <laughs> saying that I don't want to end your career and shit. Like you know, like like it's like sort of a different lane. But I get what you're saying. No, it's definitely a different lane. My point is more if you're going to argue that WWE is wasting this amazing thing, it's like of course they are, but it, they had Rey Mysterio. And they refused to push him. And if that style of babyface that you're trying to present that that El Generico should have been in WWE was ever going to get over, 
they would have let Rey Mysterio be the champion and actually presented him as like a credible champion and pushed him like a top guy. And they never did. So they were never going to make El Generico a top guy in WWE. It just wasn't going to happen. They had like the perfect version of that for them. Like you said, he's mm. over the top. He's cartoon character. He's superhero. That's what WWE likes. And they refused to push the best version of that of all time. Okay, in, yeah, I agree in with Rey you. Mysterio. Right. So they're not going to do that with El Generico. They're just not going to. Like, I'm sorry, but like he's very good and he has nuance and it's a different thing. But in WWE, they're going to want him to be over the top cartoon character, you know, superhero guy. That's their thing. The, 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 does it help when Sammy just like stands for like all the things that Vince McMahon hates? Exactly. <laughs> you know, he's like standing up for being vegan. He's mouthing off about fucking all the stuff that's going on in the Middle East. You know what I mean? Like he's Muslim. Like Refu- he's yeah. Yeah, like 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 refu- refusing to not to not. Uh, come and do the, and do this stuff with COVID going on and they're like you're the Intercontinental Champion I'm like and he's like I don't care yeah like, <laughs> I mean comparatively he's definitely going down the same lane as you know great baby faces of all time Ricky Steamboat also won the Intercontinental Championship and then took time off right so same thing right yeah it's, it's very similar um, but yeah I mean there was just there was no chance so if your argument is like oh they're wait it's like they were going to waste him as a babyface that was not what was going to happen this is a place WWE is the place where the top babyface has to be Roman Reigns like superhero good looks very basic the main you know the main good guy that's what it is that's not El Generico so rather than have him be third or fourth from the top great babyface why not have him be possibly he could have been number one heel he was getting to that point his faction was getting so over and being presented i mean he won the intercontinental title like he could have ended up being the top heel like he really easily could have been you know now he's taking the time off and obviously things are changing but it's just it is like why would you argue for well why wwe should make he's the greatest babyface of all time wwe should book him and he should be you know third from the top babyface because he's just so good instead of like actually let's let him be the top heel because he could do that i could see them pushing Sami Zayn as the top heel you know, like he fits the mold for heels because they're a little bit less rigid about what a heel has to be. You know, historically they've been a lot more diverse when it comes to heel characters than they have for babyface characters. So it just works a little bit better for him. Um, mm. So yeah, like that's kind of my point there. It's like it's very odd to make that argument. Um, so yeah, so so Big Larry loses to Daisuke Sakamoto, and <laughs> we move on to uh, <laughs> the tag team match that, like I said, is the match that I've seen the most recently out of everything on here. The match that I've probably seen the most from this entire tournament. Um, for uh, the, the, I mean, I mean, I mean, the most famous match from the, from the from this from this tournament. Yeah, four guys who I absolutely adored, um, especially at this time, and then moving forward for years and years. Um, some of them maybe I'm a little bit less enamored with at this point, but still all guys who I consider like my guys. Two tag teams that are in the canon, you know what I mean, for the Timothy Buckner historical canon of wrestling, leaders of the new school, and uh, Future Shock are like big-time important tag teams. I mean, I, I I consider these some of the best tag teams of all time. I, I love these two teams. Um, I loved when we got that like little you know rerun of leaders of the new school in PWG. That was... Dude, that was like you know, dream come true shit. Because imagine me sitting there having been such a big fan of them for so long and just thinking whatever and like getting to see them in America. They're at the top of the as, as as heels. As heels, <laughs> which you wouldn't expect. They're both phenomenal at it. They're the main events of all the shows. They're having this kick ass program with the best friends. I mean, that was like I was, you know, happy as 
a, a clam. Like it was like the best time in the history of my life getting to go to those shows <laughs> and see those these guys together so much. But uh, but yeah, like you know, and Future Shock obviously to me, I I think of Future Shock as like a very important tag team, and I, I think it's funny because I've talked to people about it, like you know Pete doing this week in wrestling stuff like that. Like, and there's people who just like don't even think of Future Shock as a team. They just don't think of Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly as anything, and to you, me, like, like you, you, you like you can't mention Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole without without mentioning each other. Like, right. that's gonna be for the like uh, they don't get mentioned in like the generico Steen way, but they probably should be because like they literally are never apart from each other. Yeah, they've always been inter- intermingled with each other, be it as you know opponents or a tag team. Yeah, it's, it is interesting to think about that that they're not, and even to this day they're still together in undisputed era. I mean, obviously Kyle is taking time off right now because he's a health risk for COVID-19 with having comorbidity. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's like these guys are still linked to, together to this day. This match, obviously huge deal to me. Um, both again, two teams that I love and delivered really at the, at the height of what I would expect from them. Like future shock. I love the dynamic of future shock, especially as heels. I mean, they were, I think as a tag team, they've primarily only been heels, really. But uh, but just so, so good because it's it's so totally different, like, kind of approaches to, to heel wrestling. But it really plays off each other super well. You, you, know, you got Adam Cole, spits his gum <laughs> at Zack Sabre Jr.'s face while holding oh, Marty man, up in the, a the, 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 vertical the, suplex. The, the tension there is so good. <laughs> it's amazing. Like... You know, you've got that kind of over-the-top, shitty heel, and then you've got Kyle, who's just, like, ground and pound, you know, grinding the knuckles into the face, like, really just being, like, aggressive. The knees to the fucking, the, the, the kidneys, like, I mean, it's two totally, again, totally different styles of heel work, but really work super well together. You, um, you know what, um, you know what, Zach, you know what the Zach and Cole stuff reminded me of? And I, and I remember making this point back at, um, Back when this back when this match happened, and it's funny because like I've compared like David Star to Cole all the time, but it, remind, it reminded me of like that uh, leader versus JML JML tag where like at some point during the match, it's like Zach just flips a switch and just starts beating the fucking shit out of David Star. Yes, and like it reminded me of like the like the like the tension and rivalry that like Zach and David have, and like Zach and Cole have like a similar vibe going on. Yeah, there's certain people who you can see that they get under Zach's skin. And you definitely have talked about it, like, extensively. Uh, you wrote that article about it, uh, you know what I mean, about, like, Zach's kind of what he means, or, like, what his character is that people overlook. You've talked about it a lot, about, like, who Zach is and, the, like, kind of the psyche of Zach. But, like, the way that it works and the way that the story is is, like, long-term feuds, it can come out over the course of, like, interacting with someone for a long time. But certain people... For some reason, they just get under Zach's skin, and it doesn't need to be, like, a long, drawn-out thing to where you eventually get to that kind of Zach-at-his-wits-end thing. Like, Cole is one of them, Star is one of them. It's like, he could, in the course of a match, go from being, like, okay to, like, just completely pissed off and, like, mask off. You know, showing the cracks and just, like, you're getting the real, like, the id. Like, the the real down-and-dirty, like, kind of, this is who Zach is at his core and you're all of the sheen and the polish is gone. And Adam Cole historically was one of those guys that just like does that to Zach instantly, you know? And it's, it's very, it's very funny the way that that works. Um, Cause like, yeah, there's other times where it's like taken like match after match to finally get there. 
Um, but but Cole gets him like in one match in a couple minutes. It happened in PWG too, which I thought was great because it really helped. I think it really is a big part of what made Zack into such a big star in PWG. And I remember when he came out because Zack was replacing um, was replacing Omega. No, Trent. I, I think, think it was the. It was a trios match, and it was supposed to be the best friends and Omega. Because, yeah, I, 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 I remember that. Yeah, because I remember that it was best friends of low moral fiber, which I thought was great. Um, it was best friends and and something else like a yeah. well like a well mannered gentleman. Or yes, whatever the fuck. exactly. But yeah, so Zach replaced someone, and it, a lot of the people in the building had never seen Zach Saber Junior. They knew who the fuck he was. He comes out, and within seconds of interacting just with Adam Cole the crowd is just enamored with this guy because he instantly shows that again, like that just the pure, like underneath all the varnish, like shittiness that he has towards someone who he just dislikes, you know, because, because you, because you know what it is too. It's, um, it, it, it was been a little more fiber with Chuck and Kenny versus, uh, versus and, and Zach versus yes. not Rushmore. Nice. And what it is, is like someone like Adam Cole just sells Zach so much. And what I mean by that is like, I think, like, to get Zach, like, someone has to, like, really sell the idea of what Zach is. And Zach is, like, a fucking, like, wizard that's gonna piss you off. And, like, when you get more pissed off and angry and you sell that, like, that's, like, really getting, like, the idea of Zach over. And, like, people like David Starr and Adam Cole are really good at acting pissed off when they're getting embarrassed. And so I think, like, that more than anything, like, that's why, like... Zach could come out there and like do a shake because I hadn't seen him before, and they're just like, "Oh my god, look at this guy!" Because Adam Cole is making him look so good by getting so pissed at everything that he's doing. Yeah, exactly. It is kind of that like wear your emotion on your sleeve thing that I think is what makes Zach so like instantly and then, averse. And, 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 then, and then and then remember they face each other the next day in the first round, which is yeah. again like no one ever talks about their singles matches, but they had a singles match, I think. At the All Star Weekend, where Zach won the title from Roddy the night before he faced Cole, and that's a still and that's a really good match too that no one talks about. Yeah, those again. That's another one where Adam Cole gets like shit on as being not a good wrestler, similar to maybe the Kevin Nash thing, uh, you know. And it's like he's, I mean, he's good at what he's good at. And then there's also early Cole where he's fucking insane and takes nutty bumps and does wild shit. But like early, early Cole is like, like again, if you go back and like watch like. Cole versus Gargano from PWG. It's like Cole is very good at a lot of things. Like what happened down the line? Like who knows? But like the idea that like Cole was never like a skilled wrestler was always like kind of weird to me because I, like if you just watch like him versus Gargano from PWG, they kind of like like debunks that immediately. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, this match. I mean, wildness, double teams, the inner interplay between four men. I mean. There's a lot of people who talk about just how much they love tag team wrestling. I'm not historically one of those people. Like, I I like tag team wrestling. I'm not, like, you know, enamored with it and think that, like, it's the top of the art form that, like, I hear people talk about. But this kind of match, this kind of, these four guys, like, a body and exude what I think people are talking about when they talk about, like, how tag team wrestling it can be a transcendent art form that goes even beyond just the concept of wrestling because you have two guys two two you know two people let's say who work as a team in tandem so fluidly going against another you know two people who you know are opposed to them it's just like it's so many moving pieces but it's not too many moving pieces to where like it it gets muddled like you still can 
there's something about a team of just two people that can be it can feel just as like well oiled and just so like smooth and just so like perfectly executed as like one like really skilled tactician it's like i think that mm -hmm. anything beyond two people you can never you don't get that same like level where it, it can feel like someone is just like at the height of like their execution of everything you know it's like one person can be like oh my god this person is so amazing everything they do is perfect they're like so like just immaculate as a tactician and i think that you can get that with two people where it's like kind of that the, you know the nature of like a <laughs> and uh, uh, the nature of a monogamous relationship right this is why uh, <laughs> we I, i've said this many times on podcasts you know officially the our podcast here is a anti-polyamory podcast we only believe in the true sanctity of, of uh, you know <laughs> a monogamous couple but tag team wrestling can just transcend that concept because you can see two people work in unison in a way that just looks like like perfection and when you have right. that happening on both ends and not even just like both teams are working perfectly, but also both teams are working against each other perfectly to where it becomes this dynamic of like four people that are working perfectly in unison that it can be like, again, like an art form that transcends like just wrestling in general. Like tag team wrestling can get beyond even the concept of just wrestling. Like, you know, it, it, it's weird to think about, but it's true. Um, and this is one of those matches that I think that like you can see that it's not like the perfect match. And I, I don't even know if I'd give it five stars, but it is like really impressive to see like two teams that work so well together and so well against another team together that it's like really, really impressive. I'm looking at Zach's PWG run again. And we're just like going through and it's like, man, like there's some stuff that like people, I know people like are never going to like, which is like, uh, so like the, like the Zach and Marty matches. People, it's like some people just might never like, uh, the Tozawa match, like, I don't even think it's bad. I think it just kind of got ruined by, like, how excited people were to see it. That match like, was special for me, and I'll just say, in the building, it, my, one of my best friends like, since, like, elementary school like, was there. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, like, I, one of my best friends since, like, elementary school, I brought him there with, with us, with, like, my wife and him and uh, his, actually, I'm trying to remember who else was with us. Either way, and, uh... And so that's like that holds a special place in my heart just for that, like getting to see it with someone. And we all, I loved it. I thought it was great. But yeah, I get like people were maybe a little bit overhyped for it and it didn't deliver for them in the way that they were hoping for. But I, I, that match will always be special for me. Yeah, it is fun. Like for me, like, you know, me and like Tazal's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. I feel like really strongly about Zach. So like, I was like, oh shit, like that's like really cool. And I think because like the crowd was so hyped up for it, like, Zach and Tazawa do it, they didn't have to go, like, crazy or anything, like, sit there and, like, have the crowd in their hands. They, like, already had the, they already had you guys as soon as, soon as, as soon as they walked out. Yeah. And, like, you know, like, more, like, like and that's, and that's probably fine, but I think for a lot of people, like, they resent, like, resent the match for that reason. But I'm just looking at Zach's PWG run, it's like, man, like, that dude has some <laughs> real good fucking matches. <laughs> like, it's funny, like, to look back, there's, like, he's almost, like, two years removed from being, from being a PWG now, but Jesus Christ, like, that, I'm not sure if PWG runs gonna get remembered as like one of the best PWG runs, one of the best PWG careers, but his 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 case is really good. The fact that he had the the Togo rematch in PWG is fucking insane. Like, really, at the time, like at the time, it was crazy, but it's really crazy to look back and think about that. Like, of all the things to do, they did a fucking Dick Togo 
match with Zack Sabre Jr. And it was a rematch from a match that they had had like five years before. Like, yeah. what the fuck? Why did that happen? Like, I wish that I could know the background on why the fuck that match happened because it seems really, really Cause, weird. Because that, that, that's before Togo has his, uh... Yeah, his, like, research. No, it's not. No, 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 it's not. And, um, Togo had fucking, um, he had just, he had just did Evolve in, no- in November. Okay. So, but still, like, that's, like, this is, like, months removed from, from even that thing because that's April, that's April 2017. But Togo, had, but Togo had just did evolve in in November 2016 though, because I remember um, that's just, I remember I think Togo versus Hero was the same show where Joey Styles just shit the bed on Flow oh, Slam. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Flow Slam, the good old days. But yeah, that match it just felt so out of nowhere. Togo was like seemingly doing like a quick like you know rerun of of going to America a little bit. Um, Got to see that was where I got to see uh, Kikotaro without a mask for the first time, which was weird. Um, I bought an FMW shirt from Kikotaro that had the the tag cut off of it, so that was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this rest like I, I know like like I'm like a, like an, an insane high man on leader, leader of the New School versus Best Friends, but like yeah, that tag match to me is like one of the best tag ma- one of the best matches in PWG history, like. Zach versus Trent from Head Like a Coal is, is here. Uh, both of the Chuck defenses. Like, it's like, man, like, one day I think, like, people, like, going through, like, people, like people's PWG runs and PWG careers will be a fun podcast to do. Yeah. Just, like, some people have really wild runs. Like, this isn't even mentioning Zach versus Hero. Yeah. Which happened, I think, maybe more than once, but yeah. Then there's, like, the, the Trevor and Zach matches. Um, the the, the the first the first the first Zach and Roddy yes which is phenomenal I mean there's <sighs> there's a lot of really good stuff Ricochet and Zach is f- really good there's yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff there and you mentioned it right now but leaders of the school versus best friends um do you think that like because that would make two all time matches for you tag team matches specifically in PWG for Chuck. Like, do you think that Chuck should be in the conversation for, like, one of the best PWG wrestlers of all time? I think it kind of has to be. Right? Like, like, one, because, like, he's always just been, like, such a good, like, guy to have around. And then, like, the cherry on top is him having the main event run in 2017. Where when they want to elevate him and push him, he can seamlessly go into that with no problem. And he can have one of the best matches of the year. In law in the in the title win and have one of the most emotional title wins of the decade, and then also have like the tag match versus leaders where it's like filled with callbacks and all this and all this different stuff and all that shit and it's like I think like any way you want to cut it with Chuck like he has to be in that conversation if you don't want to have him like with the with the with the Joes and the Roddies and all and, and and all this and all this stuff the people that like you hold like near and dear the Genericos and Steens the Bucks I feel like Chuck at least when you're having like a top 10 conversation Chuck has to be involved yeah I mean I don't, I don't think it's crazy to really because of longevity quality like variety like I could see myself really saying that Chuck Taylor is like top 3 maybe number 1 like I think that a lot of the early, early stuff gets, like, kind of deified and, like, talked about, like, oh, you know, like, that's, you know, like, especially, like, Super Dragon, you know. Oh, yeah, super, yeah but it's, like, Super Dragon, if, like, if anyone's realistic, it's, like, he just didn't do enough. Yeah, you know what I mean? exactly. It's, like, but but really, like, 
if when you look at just the raw data and the numbers, it's like Chuck was there for so long, delivering constantly, and the championship run, I think maybe gets a little bit maligned or overlooked for just how good it really was because i mean i okay i for one loved the big dust stuff in evolve i thought that that was a phenomenal heel run but the pwg title run like kind of similarly had like a thing where it was like so oddly postmodern because the, the kind of the entire concept of the chuck taylor pwg title run was like his character was I'm not as good as everyone here and I'm not having the great matches that everyone's talking about, but somehow I'm the champion. But then meanwhile, every one of his matches were still great. So it was like his character was, I'm not a great match guy while he was still continuing to have great matches, which is like kind of like a really interesting thing to like dissect and think about. Um, And then, yeah, he's got tag team stuff bubbling on the, like the mid cards and the undercards for years. I really think the only person who I could say just like eyeball test without really digging into it too much that I could say clearly has a better PWG run than him is Kevin Steen. Just because he's got a longer like top guy main event run while also having a very long run and also having a diverse Re- run with tag wrestling's teams. Like, uh, people for, like, Steen wrestled like fucking twice a show, like twice on yeah, a show sometimes. Multiple shows he would be wrestling multiple times all like you know he could be in the title match and the tag team title match on the same show like and he's there for a long time again like i said like just as just as varied just as like all over the card top to bottom tag team singles everything as as chuck but also having a much longer like a main eventer kind of run so he'd be the only guy that i would say like is a clear above chuck taylor but like that i mean i can't think of anybody else that i would say definitely like above him in PWG. All right, do you want, do you want to go ahead and finish up the sixteen carat night three? I mean, if we have to. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, the final, uh, Sammy Callahan versus Big versus Big Van Walsh. We already set, set the table here. Uh, Sammy Callahan, the underdog that has these underlying her- her- issues with Walsh with Walter already. Walter disrespecting the company. The other the other work the other workers there. And Sammy Callahan standing up for everybody. Uh, Walter comes in and just kicks his fucking ass for like the majority of this, but Sammy keeps fighting, kicking out, just nasty hilarious. Walter throwing him around everywhere, and again, like this, like this is like the beauty of Sammy when Sammy is at his best. He's really good at getting to the point. Like eventually, Sammy wants to come to all the same like indie epic bullshit that like a lot that a lot of people like, that a lot that a lot of people fell fell in fell in the pattern with, but. The thing about Sammy at his best is he just knew how to get to the point and just make like 13 minutes feel like all of it mattered and that you just watch like a 25 minute like epic thing because he just goes and goes and goes. And that's it here where the where the entire premise is Walter is just unloading on him and Sammy Sammy's able to weather the storm, keep fighting, stay in it and he's able to start working on Walter's leg and eventually eventually be able to take the big man down. And it's simple, it's really stood it's really blunt, it's straight to the point, but it's so fucking good in execution. And I think that I think that's the best compliment I can give Sammy is that I don't think anyone has ever executed the idea of like that kind of like short to the point match better than he better better than he did. And I'm not talking about anyone that like did shoot style or stuff like that. Like I was like a lot of shoot style remains under ten, under, under ten minutes and could be just as amazing and filled with fireworks and all that stuff. But in terms of like a, a true pro style match, that's 
in that 10 to 13 minute range. I don't think anyone ever mastered that as well as Timmy Callahan did at this stage in his career. Yeah, and that's that is definitely the way to do it. And I will uh I'll steal a, a line from uh from uh, the Wrestling is Gross podcast in uh this night in uh in Oberhausen, the cocaine was good. Um because Sammy is a ball of fire, a ball of energy from the jump, and I love that he opens up the match. He tries to open up the match the same way he opened up the match with Davey at the beginning of the night, where he's getting loaded up, he's fidgeting in the corner, he comes charging in, and Walter just lariats him down to the ground. And in the opening match with Davey, he catches Davey off guard and just, you know, forearms him in the side of the head, elbows him in the side of the head. But you're not going to get that with, with Walter. You know, you're not going to catch Walter off guard, and you're definitely not going to level Walter with a forearm. So Walter just fucking demolishes him with a big-ass clothesline. Starts beating the piss out of him, as you say. Sammy, at some point, Sammy, like, thinks he's firing up and he's hulking up and he takes down the straps only to continue to get his ass kicked. Like, I really loved that, that he's, like, defiant. Sammy is, like, defiantly just not that good. <laughs> like, that's that's the thing about Sammy Callahan that I think works. And it's why, like, certain people, certain people who run the uh, this podcast network... Um, can really relate to the the small man, the little man complex that Sammy has. Another Sam who has a little man complex. It's like I am defiantly just like this little piece of shit who has a bunch of energy. I'm gonna get my ass kicked a bunch, but I'm gonna keep coming. And like you said, like never stops, just keeps coming. It's just it's almost gets to the point of being annoying. Walter. At this point in Walter's career, Walter is not, like, as much of the purist that he becomes later on. But, like, even at this point, like, getting Walter to brawl you around the, the building is, like, still, it means something. Walter throwing him into, like, elect, like the truss as he's trying to, like, climb up and run away. Like, what is Sammy doing? Like, is he is he going up there just to get safe? Is he Does he think he's going to, like, sneak attack? He dives. He gets just fucking battered around. He gets... He legitimately gets thrown pillar to post. Like, you've heard that phrase said many times in, not in jest, but like as a colloquialism or whatever, like an idiom, whatever it is. But like, he legitimately gets thrown pillar to post. He's convulsing and heaving as a fucking mound on the ground. And again, it's like, he gets lifted up by the the fans. <laughs> like, it fits into the perfect, even why he wins, why this makes sense. He's got the backing of the fans. You talk about just how over he is. He can't even get back to his feet on his own. He needs the crowd to to help him get back up because that's how Sammy is able to pull this off. Is He's got the support of this crowd. These fans are into him. They're cheering for him. In every sense of the in the situation, there's no reason that Sammy should be able to beat Walter. We look at it in every way. Walter is better than Sammy Callahan. But he's got, not only does he have, like you said, non-stop, skip the fucking bullshit, basically do like a, a like a 30-minute match, like a normal 30-minute match, just do the last 13 minutes of it. Like you just take like what would be like a, you know, a longer epic match, just cut off all the beginning bullshit and just cut to the fucking, the, the finishing stretch. And in this context it works for me because you know what the 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 first 20 minutes of this match you could say like oh they didn't have any of the storytelling they didn't set up this anything because they just did like the the closing 10 minutes of a 30 minute match or whatever well 
You know what the, the opening 20 minutes of the, this match were? was the rest of the tournament. They had an entire tournament to build to here, so that's why they're worn down to where they're only having the closing stretch of a match, because they've already had a bunch of other matches before. So it makes sense in this setting. And on top of that, he's a ball of fire. He's got all... all he's just nonstop go, 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 but he's also got the support of this crowd. Uh, the, a hometown crowd, theoretically, that should... You know, it's not necessarily... He's not German, he's Austrian, but, but Walter is WXW through and through, as we've talked about. A crowd that should support Walter, but they don't. They support Sammy. They support Sammy so much that, again, like I said, they, they literally pick him up to his feet. They don't just will him to his feet with their energy. They physically pick him up to his feet. They physically carry him to the ring because Sammy wins this tournament not on his own. Sammy wins this tournament on the backs of the support of the crowd. And it even goes into the actual finish itself. Sammy has the stretch muffler. He's Oh, the pop, oh, the pop, oh, the pop for this. <laughs> yeah. He's got the stretch muffler locked in. Walter is not going to give up. He's just not. He's got the body scissors. He's got the stretch. He's got him locked in. Walter is just like, he could stay in this forever. But then Sammy starts kicking him. He starts just going at him. And, I mean, he's barely got anything left. But it's enough to where Walter just, like, eventually gives up. He's like, I'm stuck. I don't know what this fucker's going to do to me at this point. He's a caged animal. And after it's over, Sammy is the one who's still, like, crouching, covering his head hiding in the corner and Walter's back up to his feet, ready to keep fighting, ready to kick Sammy's ass after he's the one who's, you know, submitted because again, it's like, he's just so tenacious. He's not going to give up. He's got the support. The crowd goes fucking nuts and he gets the win. And then the locker room clears out to, to, you know, to get the mind off of Sammy and he celebrates. And yeah, it's like, it's the perfect encapsulation of like doing that big baby face thing. It's like everything about it was so on the nose. But again, that's like that's why Sammy works. Like there is no subtlety with Sammy Callahan. Then and, and it's part of why I don't like Sammy historically. He's not I'm not a big fan of him. He's cringe, honestly to me. He's the guy who says the 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 the, the part of the part that you should be ashamed of. He says the quiet part loud, right? As the, as people like to say. He's the guy who says thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> he does the thumbs up, thumbs down. Don't fucking say it. Just do it. You don't have to say it. it yeah. Again, that's the cringe. It's like embarrassing, dude. Why do you... But there's something about that that can be endearing in this setting where the crowd loves him and they're into him. And again, like you said, he's just like... He, he exemplifies this style of wrestling. To me, it's like the antithesis of, of what I would want to be. He's just... He's so uncool. He's so obvious. Everything he says is everything he says and does is very blatant, and you understand like where he's coming from, like what everything is. But it like it works in certain settings. It just works, and this is one of those settings where it's like there's no other way to to do this. <laughs> there's no other way to like tell this story than to just have the like the blatant like cringe. Like this guy is just like so obviously like just wears his thoughts and emotions and everything on his sleeve there's no hidden layers it's like it's like, it's like just watching this fucking like scummy looking dude play like the most earnest white me's baby face yeah like it's, it's endearing it's endearing because like sammy doesn't get to be that all the time no and like i said there's no layers like with sammy you see what you see is what you get and that's it there's no hidden meaning behind anything it's just this is it this is the guy and it's just, again, for me, it's why I don't like him because I, I, I can find it embarrassing at times. But when it clicks, it's like, okay, I get it. Like, you're just, you're, you're just this guy. And 
that's cool that you're like you get it and fuck he's probably better off than me because he's not like self-conscious he's not constantly questioning himself he's not constantly worrying about making people feel bad or being annoying he's just being him he's just out there and he's vibing he's not giving a fuck and he's just like doing sammy callahan and you know what good for him and in a crowd like this weird oberhausen germany crowd they're like you know the the people who unapologetically chant play the music and they just love the party marty party zach thing like a guy like sammy makes sense because he's just like he's he is sammy callahan it makes it kind of makes sense i get it now I really do. I get why Germans like Sammy Callahan now. Um, because he's just as cringe and goofy and just like an, a blatant and annoying as they are. Right, I, think, I, think, I think we're good here. Anything anything else to add before we uh, sign out? Any final thoughts? Um, well, I was going to talk about how my wife didn't know about Party Marty and she only knew about the villain until she watched this match with me this past week. Um, which also... I showed her uh, Marty being on um, on that reality dating show, um, which was very funny. Um, I wish I could find the full episode because it's only like half of the episode. It's, it's definitely pretty interesting to check that out. But uh, that was about it. I don't remember there was more context to that. But otherwise, that's it for me, Quentin. Uh, you have anything you want to want to hit on before we go? Uh, no. I, don't, I mean, I think that me. I think that I. The big, the biggest thing here was hitting on, I guess, like how big like Leader versus uh, Future Shock was, and sort of like making all those guys and being like a being like a defining moment for like those guys at the time, and really just in general, I just enjoyed like this is a good, it was a good ass show, like from Sammy Davy, Walter Go, Waisasaki versus uh, versus Tisher, Sakamoto Generico, Leader versus Future Shock, the main like for the main the final, this is a good ass show, so a thing like. Just for that, like I was, I was just happy to go and 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 revisit this. And you made some really enlightening Sammy Callahan points that I think uh, are gonna be worth be worth noting. I think as as years go on. But other than that, I'm ready to go here. Yeah. All right, man. Um. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, probably not remembered as the best. Um, sixteen carat as like you know stuff gets like more super indie and all this, but like for the like the ideal of what. 16 carat should be i don't think you get much better than this honestly like in some ways this is like kind of peak 16 carat um in a lot of ways and then like a lot of years after this you're kind of like they're trying to recapture this and they then they do a good job in some years where they have like definitely some interesting things um follow us on twitter at qntr email the show at qntr at gmail.com um follow quentin at qt underscore moody is that right i think i know you're Twitter That's handle. correct. Yeah, follow me at uh, Bone Dog's Wife, and uh, you know everyone keep rocking. <laughs>